Amen. And welcome, welcome. It's good to see everybody. Happy Sunday before Thanksgiving. I'm very thankful for that. It's a great opportunity for us to be able to get together and celebrate before we all do planes, trains, and automobiles. Right? And we all know what that means. Hey, you know what? There's a, actually, I shouldn't have put away my guitar. Um, I'm reminded that that when I was in junior high and when I was in high school, I went to a small camp near Eagle Point, and we sang this song, which at the time didn't seem to make a lot of sense, but today it seems like it really kind of clicked. It really came together. Um, I am not going to be able to do it like we did it when we were at camp because when we did it at camp, it was usually really dark. We had like one flashlight going, and the smoke uh, was in everybody's eyes, and so it was kind. you kind of sing like this when the smoke is in your eyes, but we're going to give it a try uh, here in just a second. Jim has no slides. Uh, we're just going to go um, from, from scratch. And here are the lyrics. We are the family of God. Yes, we are the family of God, and he's brought us together to be more like him that we might bring light to the world, right? And at first I thought, well, you know, I'm reflecting on this. I'm like, man, is that theologically correct that we might bring light to the world? Because it's actually Jesus who is the light of the world. He shared that with us, right? I am the light of the world. But in reality, he also said when he, got, he, he did his introductory speech on the Sermon of the Mount, saying, blessed are those, blessed are those. And then he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are a city set on a hill. And that we don't take our light and hide it under a bowl. So, you are, we are the family of God. Uh, yes, we are the family of God. And he brought us together to be more like him, that he, we might bring light to the world. We are the family of God. Yes, we are the family of God. And he's brought us together to be more like him that he might bring light to the world. Now, if you got about every third word, let's try it again. That way we get two-thirds. Here we go. We are the family of God. Yes, we are the family of God. And he's brought us together to be more like him that he might bring light to the world. Thank you for uh, joining me in that. Today, today's sermon is we're continuing on on a small mini-series called Who We Are here at Redwood. And today we're going to be talking about the leadership of the church. You know, uh, they, there was a one, one scripture verse that I really love that talks about leadership, and we're going to be focusing on that as well uh, this morning. But Jesus told us that his mission was to seek and to save the lost. And when he was with his apostles, uh, he said, this is what we're going to do. So is this our mission as well? Yes. And why is it our mission as well? Because we pray to God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our desire is to do just that. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to turn to a scripture verse that we are repeating over and over and over again, Matthew Chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Uh, so we're going to start at 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus did not share this message just to the 12, or in this case, just the 11. There was the entire gathering of all of his disciples there, several hundred probably, to watch him ascend. And so all of them heard that. But not all of them were in the inner circle, the 12 disciples. But they didn't care. If Jesus told them to go, then that's what they were going to do. So today we're going to spend a lot of time in Ephesians. So let's go ahead and turn there. So we got uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. You know, these are the little things that I do to help me find things. So excuse me if I sing song in front of you. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to do verses 1 through 6. So Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is a city that's on the west coast of what's now modern-day Turkey. So if you were in this city and you did about an hour's drive to the north, you get to Troy. You know, Helen of Troy, the old uh, Greeks versus the Trojans, the big horse. That happened a long time before this, but that's the city we're talking about. Okay? And so starting off at verse 1 in chapter 4, Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, There's a very big theme going over and over in here. One, 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 one. Be number one. Be number one. Be unity. Be in unity together. He's not saying that some of you are special, some of you are more special, you know. One, one, one. Over and over again, we are called to live a life that's worthy. Not the leaders live a life that's worthy and the rest of us unwashed masses can do whatever we want. No, God has called us all to live a life that way. By the way, I know you all took a bath. It's all good, right? There is no difference, right? So let's continue on verse 7 through 10. But to each, of, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives, and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all of the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That's awesome, right? Gretchen mentioned this morning that we're so thankful that he descended. And we're also thankful that he ascended, which means the one who can fix things is going up to heaven to get things ready for us. That's awesome. I'm very excited about that, right? But he descended. So even Jesus himself, who is God in the flesh, didn't think, 
I'm so awesome that I'm not going to spend time with those who are unworthy. No, he descended for the very purpose to call us up higher to ascend. So now let's continue on. So each, now notice one of the things in here is it says, to each of us grace has been given or apportioned by Christ as he desired. Because we're not all the same sinner level. You know, some of us are sinner level 50 and some of us are sinner level 17. You know, we're all working our way up the sin graph, right? No, I mean, you know what I'm saying? All of us come into into Christ at different levels, and we all come in with different amounts of horrific things in our life. And, of course, in Romans, it gives us all no excuse because if you're not perfect, you're you're not hitting the target, right? But Jesus is the one who gives that grace as he chooses. And so uh, remember the story that Jesus said, uh, who is going to love me more? Well, I assume the one who is forgiven more. And that is so true. That is so true. Uh, Continuing on now, let's go ahead and talk about how Jesus used that grace to bring us all together. So starting at verse 11, we're going to read through 14. Um, Make sure I'm in the right spot here. Excuse me. So Christ himself gave the apostles, little a, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of fullness of Christ. And there's a whole lot there. This sandwich has got some stuff in it, right? So, I mean, there's a lot in there, right? And so, uh, besides just the list of the things he gave us, the purpose we see here is to equip his people for works of service. So, um, is, is works a part of salvation? No, but works is a part of what we do after Christ has saved us. Would you agree? Because he said that's what we're here to do, right? Uh, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity. So are we to be all together, all one? Absolutely. We don't all think the same way, thank God. But we are all to agree in what it is that God is calling us to do, uh, in, to reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to become mature. So there's also the knowledge that we need to gain. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We read the Bible, we study the Bible, we listen to it on cassettes if you're old. You listen to it on a, on a media stick if you're younger, <laughs> whatever. I think I, ha- I, listen to, I listen to the Bible on a track. All right, there you go. Yeah. Until we reach the full measure of what it is that God is calling us to. And what are what is the standard? What are we measuring against? Jesus. That's right. Absolutely right. So what I did was I kind of broke down what those different callings were that Jesus gave us, apostles. And I am I am not a Greek scholar. Uh, I know how to read just enough Greek when I look at the letters that I can sort of sound it out. So, but um, apostles comes from the word uh, Greek word apostolos, which means one who is sent off. One who is sent off. Uh, and so, the apostles, based on First Corinthians chapter twelve, are actually there to go and do exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Go. So they went to different places. So the big A apostles did that. 
Some of the apostles did just, they stayed in Jerusalem and they go and went to different synagogues. Some of them went to the regions around that area to share the gospel to Jewish people. And then there were others who were, not, who, who, uh, were trained by Jesus personally. That's Paul. He considered himself an apostle because he knew the story of Christ from beginning to end. Uh, went to farther away places like uh, modern-day Turkey and also into uh, Greece and parts of Macedonia. He wanted to go to Spain, but he never got there. And in, he was imprisoned and put in chains, and so he made it to Italy as well. So that's a, a long ways to go. So one who is sent off, that's an apostle. How about prophets? Well, there is no you know, specific definition for a prophet, but a prophet is a spokesman from God to all of mankind. You go and look at the Old Testament time, what did the prophet do? Thus saith the Lord. So in this case, the Holy Spirit would actually talk to the guy, and the guy would then confront somebody. You know, you're not doing what's right, thus saith the Lord. Sometimes the prophet would predict the future or say, this is going to happen. Elijah uh, saying it's not going to rain. Until I say so. Could you imagine? It's not going to rain until I say so. Neener, neener. Why, Elijah? Because you're naughty. Quit being naughty, right? And that was a type of prophet too. But now, when you go and talk to somebody about what, the, what God is laying on your heart and you're using Scripture, are you not, in essence, a, a little P prophet? Yes, you are. You're sharing the Word of God, and that's exactly what prophets do. Now, whether you predict the future or not, that's between you and God. In this church, we don't necessarily focus so much on that because we have the Word of God to use. Um, but, yes, how will you know a false prophet then? Because what they say doesn't match up with the Bible, and if they do predict the future, it doesn't happen because God never lies. But prophecy was definitely a big thing uh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament church. And then we have evangelists. An evangelist nowadays is somebody who goes to a far, far away country. But you know what? We almost have a greater need in the United States for evangelism than they do in other countries. So we're finding that people are coming from other countries to the United States as evangelists. Wow. But an evangelist is nothing more than a person who seeks to convert others to Jesus by way of public speaking. And the last time we went down to see Aaron and Zoe in Los Angeles, down there near the Asian market, there was a Korean guy that was standing on the corner with a microphone set up, and he was preaching the gospel. I thought it was awesome. He's an evangelist. Yeah. So can you and I be evangelists? Absolutely. Every time you go and talk to somebody about Jesus publicly, you are an evangelist. How about pastors? Well, the pastor, the, it, this is actually a Latin word, which implies that it probably had its roots in the first couple of centuries after the apostles had, had passed away. But, but the, it, the word Latin, uh, which I cannot pronounce necessarily very well, it means pastor, pastoral, which is a minister, a, a servant, a person, or a shepherd. Uh, and this was the role of the elders in the New Testament church, pastors, same thing. When we look at teachers as well in there, uh, the teacher definition was a God-given ability to explain God's Word. So as you, somebody comes to you and goes, I don't understand what Jesus is talking about, blessed is the poor, and you share with him uh, that it's not just about how much money you have, but how, where your spirit is at. Uh, you know, when you share gospel with somebody, guess what? 
you are a teacher. Now, let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians. Let's go forward a couple more verses. Let's uh, start at 14, um, chapter 14, and let's do verse, I'm sorry, chapter 4, excuse me. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 14 through 16. So this is the purpose of why God has given us all of these different people. So then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, leadership in the church. We as a culture in America, in the last, I'm going to say, you know, you can always tell somebody's thinking because they'll do this. They'll look up or, you know. Um, uh, so I look up and I think, when, how long has America been a consumer culture? How long have we had that concept? And I'd have to say probably, definitely from the 50s on. We become a consumer culture. And so as Christians, that has infiltrated even our church uh, where we become a consumer culture. So instead of giving and serving and working, we become a consumer. I put my 20 in the plate, and I expect a good sermon. I expect my my, uh, communion wafer and my juice to be fresh and not stale. Because I am a consumer, right? But that is not how the early church did things. In the early church, it was the apostles, okay, who were establishing Bible studies. They were not about consumers. They were establishing Bible studies in different cities. And when they got done uh, with, you know, working in that community, they would establish leaders there to help continue the work. So let's go ahead and turn back to chapter 14 of Acts. Because I'm going to prove it. I'm not just going to say, hey, that's what happened. Let's actually see it with our own eyes. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. So Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. And in this case, he is returning, Paul is returning to Antioch in Syria. Syria is to the north above Israel. Oh, by the way, he just got done uh, being stoned. They left him for dead, and he gets up, and he returns to Antioch in Syria. 21 says, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Right? Um, Encouraging them, strengthening them. Um, Let me just check here. I might want to make sure I got that all covered. Excellent. Verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. Elders in this case. Now the word elder, once again, was the same as pastor, which was the same, uh, had the same purpose. 
to provide oversight to the church to make sure that people uh, understood the word of God and that there was unity there as well. But notice the word elder there. In Hebrew, the Hebrew word for elder is actually making reference to a beard. Uh, and in, in the Hebrew culture, the men who had the beard were the ones who had the experience in life, and so they were considered wise. They were supposed to be showing respect to them. And so those people who were elders in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament were people who had the experience, they had wisdom, and so therefore they had responsibilities. They had responsibilities in the city or in the community, and you can't have responsibility without authority, right? I'm going to work logic here with you for a second. What happens if you have responsibility but you have no authority? Let's say you have a job and you have responsibilities but you have no authority. There's no way you can do your job. There's no way. What if you have authority but no responsibility? then you become a government, right? Right? So when you have authority, because authority and responsibility have to go hand in hand. So therefore, these elders that they put in place were there to be responsible for the flock that was there, and they were given authority from God to do that very thing. Also, later on, uh, we will mention when you're reading through the New Testament churches, there were deacons that were also appointed in the church. That is Greek um, diakonos, which means a helper or a servant leader. And here at Redwood, we don't necessarily have titles called deacons, but we do have titles called ministry head leaders. It's the same basic thing. It is a leader who is leading other people who are doing ministry. That's all. Uh, same concept. So now let's talk a little bit about who's in charge. Because if an alien came down to the church and said, take me to your leader, right, who are you going to send them to? And I guess the question would be, uh, do you really want to take them to somebody that you like or don't like, depending on how mean and nasty the alien was. But let's go to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to go backwards again because Jesus actually told us who was the leader, who's the most powerful in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 18, let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 4. Give you a second or two. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes such a child in my name welcomes me. And Luke also reflects that same exact thing. So if you're taking notes, Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48 says, the least among you is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, because the kingdom of heaven is upside down compared to the world. The world, it's all about power. It's all about uh, the ability to move people in the direction you want, uh, but not so in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's another way Jesus puts it. If you move forward to Matthew chapter 20, 
and we read verses 25, 25 through 28. He's going to say it again in a different way. Now, in this case, uh, just a few verses ahead of that, um, James and John sent Mommy in to talk to Jesus about who gets to sit on your right and in your left in the kingdom of heaven. And when the ten had heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them all together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, who want, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in Ephesians chapter 4, we were reading how that Christ had established apostles, he had established prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the encouraging, the lifting up of the saints so that we can become more mature and do the same thing. So those who are doing the work, those who are being the servants, they are the true leaders in the church. So let's go ahead and turn now <clears throat> to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Because Timothy is in the church in Ephesus. Paul had sent him specifically there to help give them some guidance, uh, to help establish some elders, and to be a pastor, if you will, for that location. In First uh, Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 12, because Timothy needed instruction from Paul uh, as to what these elders need to look like. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Here it goes. <clears throat> Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, by the way, overseer is synonymous with pastor, which is synonymous with elder. Whoever wants to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the, ju the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap in the same way. Deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. So when you look at these prerequisites, uh, um, you know what? There's, when we first come to Christ, there's no way we could fulfill all of these. Okay, because there's character traits that we have to, to learn and grow. So when the early church is first getting established, um, Timothy is looking towards people who are either Jewish, who have these character traits, 
or Gentiles who had these character traits but were learning and growing. Uh, as we move on, let's continue on um, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. His instructions continue. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Um, by the way, he's giving these instructions so that Timothy would know why we need to choose wisely when it comes to leaders. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachers, I'm sorry, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created them to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, <clears throat> excuse me, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and with prayer. And if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourishing on the truths of faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. So he is talking about how the, we're going to have people in the church who, because their focus has shifted from Jesus, start to shift to other things. And in order for them to be able to justify these, this shift that they have in their lives, they will come up with false teachings to be able to support that. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you got to watch out for this. Let's move on, uh, verses 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So as a leader in the church, it's our job to continue to study the Word of God, to grow, to know the truth, okay? Um, and because, because uh, it's good for our church now, and it's good for our church when we all get to heaven. Let's continue on in verses 9 through 11. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. And he, he tells us to command uh, people to, uh, verse 11, command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. So if you have the responsibility to oversee the flock, you got to have the authority as well. Does this make sense so far? Okay. Now, next one. How old does the pastor got to be? 35, 62, 67. How old does the pastor have to be? How old does the elder have to be? Right? Uh, let's ask. Uh, hey, Paul, what do you think? Right? So verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Age is irrelevant. When we are spiritually mature in Christ, then we are ready to do what God has called us to do. Verse 14 through 16 says, Do not neglect your gift, which has been given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. 
Persevere in them because if you do, you will both save yourself and your hearers. And so guess what? As a leader in the church, do you have to be perfect before you start? No, absolutely. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because he told us right then, watch them, let them watch your progress. And people are watching us. We're watching each other, and we're looking for that progress. We're encouraged when we see people maturing in Christ. So, uh, and 2 Timothy drives a lot of these same things home. You can read that on your own time. 2 Timothy drives home a lot of the character traits that are needed as a leader in the church. And immediately what starts to happen is that people start to say, well, I don't have those things, so I can't be a leader in the church. And I'm here to tell you that's just not true. It's just not true. If we want to get the character of Christ, we have to keep our eyes on Christ. We want to seek and save the lost in this community, do we not? Yes. So since we want to do that, we keep our eyes on Jesus, we will continue to mature. Because there's going to be a lot of people coming into this church soon, and they're going to need help. They're, they're going to need mentors. They're going to need to look at us and say, this person is different than everybody else I hang around, so this is important. And, yes, we are all leaders in that aspect. So now Titus was another example. You can read in the book of Titus, uh, whereas uh, Timothy was in Ephesus. Paul sent Titus down to Crete. Now, Crete's that big island uh, that's down there near the foot, uh, the, down near below Greece. And so Titus chapter 1, verses uh, 5 through 9, gives more character traits that are very similar in that nature. Now, keep in mind that when Paul was, was writing about these character traits, he was making them specific for the town that he was in. In certain towns, he would not let women speak. In other towns, he doesn't mention it. In certain towns, he would say, stay totally away from wine. In other towns, he would say, uh, don't get too much wine, right? And it had a lot to do with the culture of that time period. But we start to see here how elders were there to teach and equip the flock. And pastors were there, same thing, to teach and to equip the flock. So what we start to notice is that their jobs are totally interchangeable. The title or the terminology is the only thing that seems to be different. So let's go ahead and turn now to Galatians. We're going to go backwards to Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to read 26 through 29. Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 29. And thank you very much for flipping your pages. I appreciate it. It is my prayer every time I get a chance to speak that only the words of God would be coming out of my mouth because my opinion is irrelevant. 26 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God. Through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ were, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female. For if you are all one in Christ Jesus, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the prophet. Uh, sorry, uh, to the promise. So believe it or not, those of us who have been baptized into Christ, who have accepted Christ and we keep our eyes on Christ, we are what they, the prophets were talking about in Abraham's seed. 
which is really cool. And then there's all kinds of great analogies about the olive tree with the wild olive branches and those that were more cultured, how we in the New Testament have been plugged into the, the olive tree. It's an amazing analogy, and we are all one in that. Notice how he doesn't just say the pastors are the, the uh, children of God or the elders are the children of God. He says all of us are one as the children of God. So now let's go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians. So we're going to go um, backwards, I think. Nope, Galatians, Ephesians. Backwards, yeah, backwards. Backwards, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to drive it home again. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is kind of a big chunk, so hang in there. And we're going to start at verse 4. Because last time when we talked about uh, what our, what our um, main ideas were in the church, what our core values were in the church, we talked about having different gifts and abilities. Uh, this, this also drives that home when it comes to being a leader in the church. So chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, starting at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for a common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of wisdom, that's a prophet, okay? To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that, that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, dis distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of languages, and still another, the interpretation of those tongues. In these are all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one, just as He determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We are all given the one spirit to drink. And so sometimes, and we've, we, I'm covering like four different subjects at the same time, but I think it comes together. I think it really does. We are given that spirit, and that spirit is the one that gives us those different gifts, and sometimes we like to focus on elders. We like to focus on, on pastors. And we like to de-emphasize what God is doing to us. Look, we all have different parts of the body. If we're all not doing our job, we're going to be rather dysfunctional. And that's our goal is to do what God has called us to do. So this morning, I want to kind of tell you a story quickly to, to wrap things up. I was trying to be witty and do like a tale of two cities, but that doesn't work because I got three. So this is the tale of three churches, and we'll wrap it up. I mean, do we really want power in the church? Is that our goal for us to have power, my way or the highway kind of thing? So the first church I want to talk about is a pastor-driven church. And a pastor-driven church usually has a dynamic speaker of a pastor 
Usually that person is very good in administering and organizing. But the challenge with a pastor-driven church can be that because it's one person calling the shots, that's so much for them to be able to handle. And the devil loves to find when we are all by ourselves, and then he attacks us. So a pastor-driven church can be dangerous because a pastor-driven church can uh, go off on tangents. And we've heard of stories about how good churches that were theologically sound wound up going off into the weeds for that reason. The second church I want to talk about is the elder-driven church. Now, this sounds more theologically sound. Uh, but this case, what I want to talk about is the elders who want to control everything, right? They want to control what you wear on Sunday, whether we have drums or no drums, congos or no congos, whether we use a keyboard or not a keyboard. Everything has to get run through the elders, every minute little detail. An elder-driven church also is not biblical in this aspect because it quenches the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God can't do what he wants to do because he doesn't have time to get through to the elders to get permission because the elders are too busy planning the entire church. Do you understand where I'm coming from? So we have two ends, two opposite ends. Pastor-driven church who calls all the shots, tells everybody what to do. It's my way or the highway. Elders who are running the church, my way or the highway, right? Neither, I believe, is what God has called us to do. The third one is the one I'm trying to talk to you about, and this is our desire every day here at Redwood, is to be a spirit-led church where the Spirit of God is calling us together and all the different methods that we have, the leaders, the deacons, the apostles, the prophets, the elders, the pastors, all these different things working together in harmony, united to one purpose. And so at Redwood here, a pastor is an elder, okay? He's worthy of all of the same respect that an elder would receive, and he has the same kind of vote as to what goes on in the church as an elder would have, okay? All of us are children of God, and if the Holy Spirit has, um, is inside of us, then we have to listen to him because he and he alone is the leader of the church, all right? So since we are all one, we look forward to working as one uh, as we are continuing to fill this role of pastor here at Redwood. But I'm telling you that when we become the leaders that God has called us to do, then all we're going to do is grow. And the kingdom of God will be glorified here, and Christ will be extremely happy with what we're doing because we'll be doing exactly what he wants. Thy will be done this morning. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I ask you that you would continue to lead us and to guide us so that way we're not so worried about who's in charge because we know that you are. I ask that you would help us to be able to understand your word and that you would help us all to be the leaders that you have called us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.